0: Hello and welcome to today's VJ Hemonk podcast. We are a global open access video journal bringing you the latest in hematology and hematological oncology. In today's podcast, we take a deep dive into treatment updates and challenges in lower and higher risk myelodysplastic syndromes, where you will hear from several experts who discuss the latest data presented at the 2023 ASH annual meeting. First, Rena Buckstein shares insights into unmet needs in lower risk MDS commenting on red blood cell transfusion dependence.
1: The biggest unmet need in low-risk MDS is still red blood cell transfusion dependence. We, um, we saw earlier this year the um, approval of Pattercept in the United States of luspatercept for frontline use in transfusion dependent patients with lower risk disease, um, showing superiority over Eprex in uh, alleviating red blood cell transfusion dependence. Um, and majority of groups do seem to benefit. Um, it's still unclear whether or not patients without okay, yeah. ring sideroblast benefit in a superior way to Luspatercept, although presented at this meeting was uh, you know longer-term results that suggest that perhaps there are, even in the um, non-ring sideroblast patients, longer response durations to Luspatercept than to Eprex. Um, But I think uh, another um, study that was presented yesterday um, meeting the unmet need of red blood cell transfusion dependence was the study by Michelle Middleman of the Matterhorn study of Roxadustat. and initially, you know, the press release was it's a negative study, it's, you know, dead in the water, but on subgroup analysis that he presented, it did suggest that perhaps the use of Roxadustat may be beneficial to patients who have higher transfusion burden, and they enrolled a lot of patients with very low transfusion burden that you could almost argue weren't really transfusion Dependent, and which is why in the placebo arm the results look so good. And But in patients that are bona fide, really red cell transfusion dependent, there was a signal of activity, rocks So I'm hoping that, that there will be further drug development of that, you know, pursuing that as an option, because we still have a limited repertoire of options for treating. Um, you know, we've got EPREX, we've got um, Luspatercept, we've got um, Immatelstat, although it's not yet approved. And you know, would have the more agents we have, and perhaps used in combination, the better our options at uh, eliminating red cell transfusion dependence and 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 keeping red cell transfusion dependence at bay for as long as possible.
0: Next, you will hear from Valeria Santini, who discusses how to approach patients who fail ESAs, and further shares results from the iMERGE trial, which is evaluating imetelstat in patients with lower risk disease.
2: What we know since uh, more than one decade is that uh, 60% of our lower risk MDS patients can respond to ESAS if they are uh, selected according to the variable that we already know since a long time that is, uh, uh, level of uh, endogenous EPO below 200 units litre, uh, lower risk, possibly non transfusion dependent and, and without cytogenetic sort of abnormalities. So these are the patients who will respond for sure, but uh, the response can, cannot last forever. So the patients who fail, they lose response and their uh, hemoglobin is declining progressively, sometimes really um, going back to transfusion dependence. This is something that we should avoid. Now, uh, the alternative we have now uh, are uh, to switch to an experimental uh, uh, study or give luspatercept in the patient who have MDSRS, and in the US, also in the patient who are non, um, uh, who do not have ring sideroblast. When should we do it? Before I declare a patient a failure, I treat a patient uh, at least for three to four months with uh, the optimal dose of Isas, that is 30 or 40,000 units of uh, uh, Isas per week. Sometimes we double the dose sometimes obtaining a better response. But this has to last at least for three to four months before we can say that the patient is not responsive. So this is a primary resistance. And then we have the failure of treatment after a first response. These are the patients that are uh, treated with the new agents I spoke about. So uh, spatercept approved and imetastat, hopefully in the near future. If the drug will be approved. And otherwise, we have to go back to uh, un- unfortunate transfusion and iron chelation together with it. Uh, Imetastat is um, a, a, a drug, is a specific compound uh, that uh, targets uh, uh, telomerase. It's a telomerase specific and competitive telomerase inhibitor, so its a mechanism of action is pretty specific and uh, and uh, um, apart, I would say, from all the other uh, erythropoietic stimulating agents. Uh, Im- imetastat uh, uh, was um, evaluated in patient with lower risk MDS patient high transfusion burden, so more than six Units of red blood cells in eight weeks, and uh, uh, as I mentioned, lower risk MDS, all subtypes, and uh, the treatment was compared to placebo. Now, the um, results of this study have just been published in Lancet last week, and they indicated that. Uh, Let's say 40% of patients uh, achieved transfusion independence longer than eight weeks, which was the primary endpoint of the study. So, a very effective drug as well. These patients were uh, ESA treated, non DEL5Q, all the other subtype of MDS were included, and they were either uh, ESA refractory or uh, ESA resistant or ineligible for ESA treatment. Uh, The results that I want to stress is the fact that uh, um, 18% of patients achieved um, transfusion independence longer than one year, which is quite an important uh, and uh, meaningful uh, um, results for them. And um, another very interesting uh, feature of imetastat is that it... Uh, it seems to have uh, a disease-modifying activity, meaning that responses correlate with decrease in uh, um, in uh, the variant allele frequency of specific mutations, somatic mutation like uh, TAT2, SXL1, and DNMT3A, which are the most common ones, as well as uh, SF3B1. So their their variant allele frequency decreases more than 50%, much more frequently in patients who are uh, responsive to the treatment. The same is true for a correlation with the achievement of cytogenetic complete response and response. There is uh, therefore not a strict correlation with the specific uh, mutation for response, but it is indeed important to consider that this drug um, is inducing slight uh, myelosuppression and this could be correlated also with this, trying, uh, this kind of responses.
0: Next, Amir Zaidan gives an overview of clinical trials exploring the use of Luspatricept in patients with lower-risk MDS.
3: Yeah, so Luspatricept uh, is a protein, it's a fusion protein that targets the ligands of the transforming growth factor Peta pathway. Those ligands have been shown in patients with lower-risk MDS to drive effective erythropoiesis, leading to anemia in patients with lower risk MDS. And indeed, uh, the use of Lospatricept has been shown in phase 2 data in the PACE trial to improve the rate of transfusion independence. And subsequently, in the Middle East trial, which was a randomized study of Lospatricept against erythropo- against placebo after ESA failure, uh, to lead to transfusion independence in almost 40% compared to 15% of patients. After that, Luspetrasib was moved to the frontline setting in the commands trial, which tested patients who received Luspetrasib against um, against uh, ESA in as a frontline treatment in patients with lower risk MDS who were transfusion dependent, uh, who had um, anemia. And this trial was positive. It was reported last year, uh, or uh, sorry, earlier this year. And the uh, paper was just published in the Lancet in this ASH, we report updates from the COMMANDS trial, which shows the final analysis, as well as an update from the middle trial, the first trial that led to the approval of Lospatarsib, where we confirmed the risk of the transfusion independence and that patients achieved durable uh, transfusion independence with the drug. I also like to point out that we have a trial that just started another large phase three trial with the drug called the ELEMENT, which will look at patients who are not yet transfusion dependent. So those are patients who have symptomatic anemia, similar uh, to the COMMANDS trial, but they are not yet needing transfusions, and the similar randomization to Lospatarsif versus EPO. And I think this could be a major change in the um, landscape of management of lower risk MDS, because historically we have not treated patients with lower risk MDS who are not yet uh, transfusion dependent. So if that trial is positive, I think it could be a major uh, change in the way we think about management of those patients.
0: In the rest of this podcast, the experts will discuss updates in the treatment of higher risk disease, as well as how to approach patients who fail hypermethylating agents. First, Aditi Shastri discusses novel targets being explored for this patient population
4: mds uh, as we know it's a very heterogeneous disease and uh, hypomethylating agents are really uh, you know important treatments in low risk mds but really the cornerstone of therapy in high risk mds and in patients with high-risk MDS that fail hypomethylating agents have a poor prognosis and definitely need better treatments at this time, I would say our priority as a medical community treating MDS is really to offer the best possible care to our patients. And sometimes this involves offering a clinical trial, uh, and uh, which may be by itself, but also as a potential bridge to a curative therapy, which is allogeneic stem cell transplant which in this day and age is still considered a curative treatment for MDS. Beyond the HMAs, there are some interesting uh, agents which are currently in clinical trials and appear promising. One of them is an immunomyeloid therapy called Sabatolimab, and uh, this is a drug which targets a specific target on the surface of the leukemic stem cells, as well as the T cells called TIM3 and it enhances antibody-dependent phagocytosis and reduces the amount of leukemic stem cell renewal. Uh, Another therapy that I can think of, which is currently in trials, is potentially exciting, is the uh, BCL2 inhibitor venetoclax. So venetoclax in combination with azacitidine has also been tested in a large phase three randomized study, the Verona trial, of which I hope we will have the readout soon. Uh, And the activity appears very encouraging, and we hope that this can become an option for our patients in the future. There are various other targets like rare. Agonists, Tamibarotene, XPO inhibitors, Altanexor. You can even modify the backbone of the drugs uh, of the HMA and the venetoclax to make it low dose and give it in a way that's more tolerable to the patients without compromising responses. So in short, I think these are the most promising approaches in the clinic right now.
0: Lastly, David Salman discusses the possibility of moving past azacitidine in higher-risk MDS, and Amir Zaidan concludes by sharing insights into the Stimulus MDS-1 trial, which is evaluating sabotolimab in combination with HMAs in this patient population.
5: The focus of my session is high-risk MDS, and we've been stuck with azacitidine for, you know, over 15 years now, can we move past? And unfortunately, it's still an open question. So I think, really what I go into is, I, I think we have to personalize the treatment of our patients more treating an all-comer high-risk MDS patient population going forward is probably not the most optimal strategy. And I think the one big group of patients we need to separate out is the P53 mutant group. Really, with all standard of care therapies, this group has done significantly worse. And so I focus on ways to identify them, some prognostic differences that you can see based on variant allele frequency, um, allelic status, et cetera. Um, And really that, although transplant is a curative option, we really need to think about how optimally to get them there. We've had a lot of struggles in frontline options and a lot of the uh, critiques have been trial design, heterogeneous patient populations, including patients with other disease, um, not looking for overall survival. And so really there have been three large randomized phase, three trials that have finished accrual. Um, I've been fortunate to help lead the map efforts, and then I think the big setback you know, just a couple months ago is that this did press release to be negative. The data have not been presented. And I think the big question is, what is the changes from phase one to phase three? Again, do we need to make um, the eligibility characteristics different? Do we need to think about you know treatment differences across the group? So still a question on what happened there. I think the big excitement potentially is with venetoclax right now, we're all waiting for the phase three Verona trial to read out. And both in large phase one studies and then real world data that we've recently published, you know, response rates have been in 80% of patients, true complete remissions over 30%. And we're hoping that the trial can be positive, but it can cause a lot of toxicities and there's still concern uh, in the MDS field, will we have a positive phase three trial? But I still think the horizon is quite bright thinking about that group. We're also waiting on the readout of the phase three inside eating trial. And the only ongoing accruing trial is a phase three trial with tamiberatine, which is for RARA overexpressing patients. I think going forward, we need to potentially better think about synergy resistance mechanisms. I think we need to incorporate measurable residual disease into prospective trials. And again, hopefully we'll be changing the standard of care soon, but the, the jury is still out on that.
3: Sabatolimab is a monoclonal antibody against M3 tem 3 is overexpressed in leukemia stem cells and blasts, as well as in T cells in patients with uh, high-risk MDS. And targeting tem 3 with the antibody sabatolimab in preclinical data, as well as early clinical uh, trials, has been shown to demonstrate clinical responses. And based on this, the antibody uh, sabatolimab was taken into a randomized phase 2 trial called stimulus MDS1, where patients were randomized to receive a hypomethylating agent plus-minus sabatolimab. And we have reported the clinical outcomes of this uh, uh, trial last year, actually, in Ash 2022. And the data were just published three days ago, actually, in the Lancet Hematology paper. What we have shown is that while the primary endpoint of the trial was not met, which was a combination of uh, improvement in progression-free survival and complete response rate, but uh, we showed that the durability of the response among those who achieved responses was double that you <laughs> Uh, for those who are on the combination compared to monotherapy. But we also show that the progression-free survival appears longer, and there is a late separation in the curves, suggesting impact of the immunotherapy. So this was already published. What we show this year is additional analysis on the data set, looking at the MRD clearance. And we know in AML that clearing MRD correlates with long-term outcomes. This data is just being generated in MDS. And indeed, this is one of the, I think, first prospective clinical trial data sets that does demonstrate that patients who clear MRD seem to have better uh, clinical outcomes including survival and we show that patients who receive sabatolimab with a hypomethylating agent do have a higher rate of clearance of MRD. So I think it's a proof of principle it's a relatively more limited sample size but I think uh, it certainly demonstrates the potential of this um, drug. Important to note that the phase 3 trial of this drug sabatolimab has fully accrued more than 500 patients, and we are expecting results from this early 2024, which could be a major change in the landscape of treatment of high-risk MDS patients.
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJ Hemonk and subscribe to VJ Hemonk Podcasts on Spotify, Apple, and Podbean. Until next time.